Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Breaking Changes podcast. I'm your host and chief evangelist for Postman, Ken Lane. With Breaking Changes, we explore topics from the world of APIs, but we look at things through the lens of business and engineering leadership. Joining me today, we have Mamta Suri, Senior Manager for Software Development at Time Tracking for Workday. Conversations like this one I had with Mamta is why I do Breaking Changes. It helps me learn a lot about the API operations from people who are in the trenches of these enterprise organizations, but it also pulls me out of my bubble like Mamta did when she turned the tables on me for this interview. Let's uh, let's start start with the basics. Who are you and, and what do you do? So my name is Mamta Suri and I'm a senior engineering leader at Workday. I've been in Workday for about seven years. And prior to that, I was at Oracle, uh, where I was for uh, in the Fusion Middleware Group, and I was there for about eight years. Um, my background is both in computer science and biology, so I've even worked in a medical instruments company as my first job out of the college. I've been dealing with APIs all my life, starting in college when I was actually um, got a chance to work on the human genome sequencing that was going on at the time, and I was able to do it as part of the UC Santa Cruz team as an undergrad. So that was my first exposure to the APIs. Exciting. Is that what steered you toward technology, would you say, <laughs> um, out of, out of the, the, bio, the bio realm? Yeah, so I actually, when I started college, I was going to be a doctor. So that was um, that was the path I was on. And then I started taking some computer science classes just as electives. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. So I decided to take more. And then um, I met with my counselor and I said, I want to actually major in both. I can make up my mind. So help me do that. Um, so I uh, double majored in both biology and computer science. And uh, um, I knew at that point that I don't want to go as a medical doctor because, uh, yeah, I was not very, you know, like just the thought of like when I volunteered at an ER and seeing everyone, um, they are the conditions they came in. Um, I have a lot of respect for doctors, but for me, I could not keep myself separate. And uh, so I knew that this was... Uh, maybe not a good path for me. And then um, I decided to combine the both. And that's where I landed at my first job for a medical instruments company where um, I was working on the software side, but it was for those MRI machines that you see in hospitals, but this was more for research. And uh, so this was, uh, you know, I got to be on the software side, but um, I got to play around with the brain images and a lot of the different things. So yeah, I, I got the best of both worlds. Yeah, interesting journey to to find your way to it. So what 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 does Workday do? Just for for the the listeners, what's what's an uh, explanation of the services they offer? Yeah, so um, Workday is a enterprise company and we offer different software to help um, our companies. We have financial, uh, payroll, um, time tracking, HCM, student. So it's a, it's an end-to-end -end solution for all of the enterprise needs. We have customers in all of the different industries, financials, um, also, uh, you know, retail and uh, um, um, healthcare and uh, 
uh, a lot of the different industries and just, you know, um, a lot of the big uh, Fortune 500 names as well. Yeah, um, I'm fa fairly familiar with the APIs. I've done several integrations. So what does what does APIs mean to to the organization? What's 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 the benefit and business value of APIs for Workday? So APIs are, you know, <laughs> are the backbone of of most of the things we do. Um, and uh, when they talk about APIs, there's external APIs as well as internal APIs. Uh, Workday uh, now has a Workday cloud platform, which uh, gives anyone the power to extend Workday. So you can build more applications on top of what's already provided. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a really cool way to, you know, just uh, for your specific use cases that the company wants, um, they can create those. So it's REST APIs as well as SOAP APIs. Um, just to give you an example, um, an internet service company actually built an app on the Workday Cloud platform. It was called a transit route search. So employees who travel to work um, by train can start the end, then uh, the start time and intermediate stations to find the different routes and pricing. And then once they selected a route, it uh, created an expense report automatically for them. So um, this was a really cool way for them to combine what they were anyways going to use, but then they don't have to go and look for the receipts. It automatically files that expense report for them in Workday. Um, another example is uh, a global logistics and manufacturing company. They built a vehicle registration application using the Workday APIs, and uh, it would let the employees register the, like, the their cars and uh, their um, vans and so on um, where they park at the workplace. And then the on-security teams the sec uh, can identify the owner of a car in case of an emergency or if there's a, you know, a parking situation or they didn't do a good job parking. So it's, it's uh, making everyone um, safer in that respect. So this gives you uh, an idea on how cool APIs are because um, you have your you have your basic foundation, the applications that we provide, which already does a lot of functionality, but then there is a whole set of another other use cases that you know the customers themselves for their particular needs, they can create on top of it. So those are the external APIs. Now the internal APIs, of course, we have our own tech stack internally, and a lot of the things we do, we leverage internal APIs uh, for integrations even between the products or within the same product as well. So, uh, and and a lot of the companies nowadays uh, are moving from monolithic to microservices and using APIs just to break down the functionality. So yeah, I think um, APIs uh, are are you know um, a lot of the industries really. Uh, leveraging the benefits of APIs now. Yeah, it's a, uh, you touched on it though a, a little bit, but what I'm seeing with a lot of large enterprises that are, that are well-established um, when you, when, when people talk about APIs, I think the, the lion's share of the conversation is focused on rest or, or what I would consider web or HTTP APIs, but the average enterprise organization in my experience has a large volume of SOAP APIs, uh, REST web APIs, as well as like GraphQLs emerging and we see event driven. And this is just this because of, of legacy journey of the historic history of the company, 
but also consumers. There's just a lot of consumers who um, have different expectations and, and needs. So is this what you see across your landscape as well? Yeah, yeah. So we have so addressed APIs <clears throat> for the products themselves. So I just basically talked about the work the cloud platform um, earlier, but each of the products themselves have uh, public APIs as well that the customers leverage for, uh, you know, uh, for integrations or for data management. And uh, yeah, we have, we support both REST and SOAP uh, APIs. And that's because, uh, you know, the customers may be using SOAP, that's what they're comfortable with, or that's what their uh, integration is that if there are any third party, um, you know, vendors they're using between Workday and their instance. So that could be, that. that is, uh, that is something. And GraphQL, like you mentioned, is definitely picking up. Uh, GraphQL has a lot of um, flexibility and it, uh, you know, instead of the um, the rest where you have to write an API for each of the things that you want, GraphQL uh, um, provides you that flexibility. But yeah, I don't see a lot of GraphQL, even when I, you know, read the industry um, newsletters, that there's a lot of talk about that. So, which I would think that people would, um, would be, uh, you know, more uh, integrating the GraphQL into it. So, yeah, uh, to answer your question in a long way, yeah, I think um, SOAP and REST are here to stay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing a, quite a bit of expansion with GraphQL, but it's nowhere near the scope of REST and SOAP. I mean, SOAP is still such a massive part of our user base. Um, GraphQL is growing, and I see it, over HTTP, but also I've seen it over WebSockets, so real-time event-driven GraphQL as well. But um, it really comes down to, I think it's going to take a while uh, for it to emerge across the enterprise and people develop the skills they need to to understand GraphQL. But we're big proponents of uh, what we'd consider a diverse API toolboxes. There's no one way to build APIs. you got to acknowledge what your consumers need and really build that. So how talk to me about the different roles that are available across or involved in the in the delivery or operation of of a lifecycle at workday is it is it just developers is is there q and a do you get product managers is it is it a growing spectrum of of roles yeah so we have um you know our Scrum teams consist of very close collaboration with uh, product managers, QA uh, developers, and automators. So it's uh, it's it's not one person's uh, you know one role's um, job, but yeah, it's it's very close collaboration because each each role has their own expertise. The product managers know the product really well. They know the customer base. Um, they interact with the customers. The developers, of course, are you know are the experts in the in the technical uh, expertise and uh, very close to the code base. So they know what will work, what will not work, and have those discussions. And QA kind of combines you know um, they know the product, they know how to test it. They want to they want to make sure that our customers um, get the highest quality of um, the deliveries of the features. And uh, they're really, really core to making sure that we do that. And of course, um, 
along with developers, automakers also come into the picture to make sure that when we're building on top of existing things and the new features as well, that you know we continue to have good automation coverage so that we have that high quality. Um, Workday has a goal of having 95% or more customer satisfaction rate, and every year we beat that. So uh, that's pretty wow. important to us to have, you know, make sure that we are meeting customer needs. Yeah, so I mean that that really speaks to a business alignment in a lot of enterprise organizations. I see there's still a chasm between the IT and business groups when it comes to APIs often, and the APIs aren't always um, they they might be sound technically, but they don't really they're not products and they don't really fit mm-hmm. a, a business outcome or business goal. And so um, having those feedback loops and having having those product managers and that alignment or or closing that gap is is pretty key to uh be able to achieve what not that that level of rating impressive yeah um well so one of you know we're that's what we see is is an expansion of these roles a number of people who are involved in the, in the api life cycle as we would say and we're seeing a massive uh uh number of requests from our customers around how do we train up the next generation of product managers and people to be involved in the API lifecycle that maybe aren't um, coming from tech backgrounds, maybe coming from others. And as the number, uh, you know, APIs are just everywhere and, and they're so critical to, to businesses. We need pe- these, these, these people with a seat at the table. But one of the challenges is is making sure that's a diverse set of voices sitting at the table and 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 that API reaches the widest possible audience or or set of consumers. So uh, from your perspective, what can we do to get more diverse voices to the table and understanding what APIs are that they're not some scary technical thing that they that that they should be afraid of. They they can get involved and actually steer steer the business outcome. Uh, it's very important that we do get diverse voices across the table and, you know, um, API should just be considered as a tool in the tools that we have, just like in any profession. It should not be the scary thing. And also it should not be something that, uh, that you know, we should just think of it as a tool, just like in any profession, that this is something you get trained on. So on fixing or having the diverse voices, um, it it's it's multi-level, right? It starts with the pipeline. How can we make sure that the uh, the kids in school get the exposure to computer science at an early age, both boys and girls? Um, so I have a twelve-year-old girl and a nine-year-old boy, and what I see in uh, in a lot of the computer science uh, clubs and uh, courses that are offered, a lot of the boys will take those um, courses. So there needs to be intention, intentional work in this area where the parents as well as the teachers are uh, introducing these at an early age so that this doesn't become this scary thing. Um, and uh, I, you know, as a mother, I've I have exposed both of my kids uh, to computer science and if they don't like it, that's fine. Um, but at least I've done my part that, yeah, you can do this. And what I tell my kids is it doesn't matter what profession you go into um, later in life. 
uh, whether it's, uh, you know, medicine or if it's music or if it's, you know, uh, whatever it is, technology is going to be there and coding is going to be there. And if there's coding, APIs are definitely going to be there. So, you know, as long as you understand this and this just makes your life easier. So, you know, introducing kids uh, to this concept at an early age is very important. So that's the pipeline thing. Second thing is once women are in the workforce and uh, how, do we, how do we make sure they stay in the workforce? In 2020, December, a McKinsey study came out that when a lot of people were dropping out of the workforce in, in December of 2020, all of the people who dropped off the workforce were women. It was 100%. That's a very scary uh, statistic. So why is that? Why are so many women dropping out of the workforce? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One is the, you know, uh, women traditionally have more at-home duties than men. So we need to level that field. Second is that uh, women a lot of times don't have mentors or role models to look up to in the workplace. And that's why they might drop out of the workforce. Um, there are definitely things we can do making sure they get the support, they are flexible, uh, you know, for care, and uh, I was just talking about parenting role, but also caregiver role, right? It could be even parents, older parents, and it could be uh, both men and women. So having those flexible policies at companies is very, very important so that, you know, people are able to do uh, the, the work job as well as what they're required to do at home. So Workday has very good, uh, very good policies for caregiving and parenting support. So that is a key to make sure that we keep more women in the workplace. Another thing is, are those women growing up? So, you know, when it comes to making those decisions, are they going up the ranks? So how is their career advancement? Um, that is also important. Again, it comes down to role model. It comes down to mentors. And it also comes down to a little bit intention on, you know, women's part, raising their hands, saying, yeah, I'm ready for the next role. So, yeah, there is a there is a lot of work to be to be done um, in this in this area. And, uh, and that's why I've been involved in the diversity efforts uh, for over seven years, ever since I joined Workday. And I've uh, actually created and leading um, and blind belonging council to make sure that the diverse and I partner with Women at Workday um, and other uh, employee resource groups within Workday to make sure that the communities feel supported, um, they feel inclusive, and they have a sense of belonging. Yeah, so important. Definitely uh, goes a long ways to start changing the tone of the conversation on these teams and these these groups that are, are running these APIs. And it's something that changes the feedback loop when we're listening to consumers having conversations with uh, with the consumers of our APIs, those builders of the applications, and it's going to change the tone of, the, of of those conversations as well. How we listen, how we hear, how we build in features or capabilities that maybe didn't make we didn't hear or didn't make sense to us because of our bias or or, or our company history. So. I really feel this is 
and from what I'm hearing across the companies I talk to is, is they really want to invest in this, make uh, the API lifecycle uh, a nourishing place for, for everyone to be and kind of diversify this because they're really concerned with, with delivering products that, that, that help them be competitive, help reach larger audiences, underserved communities uh, uh, outside of our demographic and our geographic region. So I think these are, um, as far as product management is concerned, I think I'm starting to see uh, things tipping in that direction. So it's good to hear that you're, you're investing so much. Yeah, I just like to add that now there's a lot of research how diversity helps companies. And one of the things they have come up uh, with now there's data behind is that diverse voices actually helps innovation. So when we're thinking about solving customer problems, when we're thinking about um, delivering a solution, it's those innovative ideas. When everyone's thinking the same, you're not going to innovate that much. But it's that diversity of thought, people coming from different genders, different races, different ethnicities, uh, different backgrounds. I call it more as a diversity of thought. And it's everyone is diverse. It's not that each of one is different and where we come from, what school did we go to, what kind of experiences we have, though that's what makes us different from each other, right? And when we have diverse experiences and diverse thoughts, that's where innovation happens. And it's good for everyone, not just for uh, that group, but it's good for the company, it's good for the industry, it's good for the whole country. Agreed. And I think it, uh, it, it that tone, that it changes, I think, is really important. We ha I had a guest on a, a, a little while back, uh, Deepa from PayPal, and she's a pro API product manager, and she's working on a book. And she had said that there's when she got into API product management, there wasn't a lot of books out there. And the content that is out there is written by white men, um, primarily kind of of a certain demographic. Mm -hmm. And she said it just seemed... Like it didn't have all the information, didn't have all the, it didn't explain it all the way. There was a lot of gaps in the knowledge, but then also it didn't speak to her. And so she felt like that that was preventing other product, potential product managers from getting into the space, learning, being successful, even if they were, because they didn't have all the information that they needed. And then she wanted to try to understand if it affects, you know, who are your consumers? Like if you're a partner of an API or a consumer, does it matter to you if you see people that resemble you working as part of the team, doing videos, blog posts, training materials, workshops? So I think it goes a long ways um, downstream and as part of the you know the the API product lifecycle, but also the consumption of APIs as well. So. Yeah, and I, that's so true, right? Um, the dialogue is getting changed, and I'm I'm so glad that you know Deepa is writing this book. That's going to be, I think, the first book written by a woman in this uh, in this area. Also, I think uh, we need allies like you. So it's uh, you know uh, when the uh, when there's more voices, and it's not just the diverse groups, but also the ally allyship is very important. So it's the allies speaking up on their behalf uh, when someone is on the table, but if they're not being heard, and the allies is saying no, this person has a good idea, let's hear this. And that's equally important if we were to change this narrative. Yeah, for sure. So, so back to the the core of, of that of getting more vo diverse voices involved in the API lifecycle. 
Where are other opportunities for folks to get involved with, with producing APIs that maybe they don't have to have a, a computer science background, that there's other ways they can contribute and lend a hand? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I There are a few organizations that are doing this work. Um, there's open source code uh, where you can work on, I think, nonprofit um, projects to get more experience on. Uh, on this, but it, it does require, you know, it's a way to learn computer science and then get into that. Uh, but also, if you just, uh, I think there's a lot of, uh, uh, lot of uh, companies where, uh, like my kids these days, they use Glitch.io and also um, there's another one, I forget the name, uh, but it's basically, or Repl.it. So they can easily just, uh, you know, start a project. There's already APIs available that lets them do basic things, and then they can um, go from there. So the ease of use, I think, is very important. Um, and then we have things like, um, you know, NLP, and uh, where there's integrations with Slack, So or even... You know, um, even on social media, there is APIs available from Twitter and Facebook. So even if you are not a developer or coder, you can just look at those. If you have basic understanding, you can look at the APIs that are available and, you know, you can extend them to do what you wanted to do uh, for that particular use case. Do you think you mentioned automation earlier? Do you think we're going to be able to automate more? Um, I mean, there, it seems like there's a number of APIs, the inventories there interesting APIs, business productivity, things we can do. Do you think, I mean, I know you're probably referring to more automation of, of the API lifecycle producing APIs, but are we going to be able to automate and include more business users through low code, no code, and other types of automation, you think? Um, yeah, I think so. So you're talking about like the, you know, product managers and getting people involved in an early, early stage. Yeah, and helping them automate their jobs and do more with less and, and optimize their teams, but without having to write code, hopefully, or, you know, that they'll be able to use APIs in their job and be more successful without yeah. being a coder. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there are a few different tools that already do that. You can even build apps I, these days uh, without any coding language, and there are platforms that help you do that. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, even with the product managers and uh, you know um, having even an inventory of uh, um, the APIs are available and what is it that you know we need to do next and uh, having a basic understanding of that um, is, uh, it's, I think a lot of it also just comes down to documentation. So just like with our public APIs, we make it available to the, uh, to the users, you know, the, uh, definitely and the product managers can do that. And uh, um, yeah, there are product managers even in Workday, which, you know, are, uh, are very well versed with the APIs that we have. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that because I've been evangelizing APIs for the last decade, trying to make people aware of them, um, because I think they're kind of like the, the banking system for me. Like you should have a certain level of kind of personal finance and banking knowledge. You don't have to understand how SWIFT and, and the banking system works, mm -hmm. but you should know that the how much who has access to your bank account, your credit cards, your balances. And I feel like the tools we use, the SaaS services we use, 
you should know there's APIs behind them. And so I'm always trying to help people see that and understand that they can automate and, and in their job, in their work. Um, but a lot of people are, are tend to be afraid of APIs. They're, they're technical and I'm not a technical person is what I, I hear a lot. So, yeah, that's a very good analogy. I've never, um, I'm going to use that if you don't mind, but I've never had it put it that way that you should know, uh, you know, which credit cards you have and who has access to those, which banks you have. And uh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Yeah, I think uh, definitely with the no coding and uh, um, things like that, it's very helpful to just look at the uh, APIs that are available and what it could do, how you can extend them. Um, so even on the Workday Cloud platform that we have, it's very easy to use. Uh, you don't even need to be a developer, but you can. Um, it provides a very nice interface where you can, um, you know, uh, extend your use uh, your application with the use cases that you want, and it has very good documentation and step by step on how to do that. So we're, uh, as a professional, and trying to stay aware of of what's going on in the in the world or tech space or your career how do you how do you stay sharp where do you find information what do you read to to keep uh being able to do what you do there is a lot of information out there so it's actually the other way around it's what do i filter out and uh-huh. uh, you know make sure that um, only the relevant information gets to me there is information overload these days so um, definitely the company blog, Workday blog, um, I do keep up with that because even within the company, there's a lot of um, innovation that's happening. Um, there's a lot of industry newsletters uh, that I uh, subscribe to, which are uh, for the computer industry in general, but also on the diversity side. Then um, also uh, on, you know, on LinkedIn, um, trusting my network on what they are sharing and again, choosing what to read or not to read uh, is also important. So it's, uh, it's. I mean, there is a wealth of knowledge out there. It's really uh, choosing and being intentional about what do I want to focus on right now and what do I want to focus on um, later and uh, uh, what's relevant to me right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like that. And it's why it's one of my kind of stock questions I ask people, and I always feel like oh, maybe I should stop asking this question. But I really like the uh, the answers I get, like the, the the you know finding the signal in the noise, reducing the information overload. I think that's great advice. Well, this has been great. I really enjoyed listening to your journey and in, in your career and in your view of things. Definitely, um, APIs at Workday I think are an interesting kind of fundamental part of our economy like literally and how businesses work so it's great to have you on the show um thanks for coming and and sharing today yeah thank you so much ken uh i really enjoyed talking to you and uh uh, thank you for um doing this and even talking about diversity in the api happy to thank you so much well um flip the tables what do you want to talk about um, yeah, so Ken, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I'm really curious because I wanted to ask you a few questions and, uh, you know, um, learn from you, hopefully. So how many interviews have you done on this subject so far? 
Um, well, breaking changes. Um, I believe I've done 50 shows, almost 50 shows and conversations with different folks since June of last year. So it's quite a mix of people. I would say last season, my diversity numbers uh, weren't as high. I believe it was um, less than 25% female. Um, and, and I think it was even worse. My, my, uh, black and brown people on my show and voices, um, sharing this season, I've balanced that. And I would say we're, we're well over 50% in all areas as far as shifting that. And I have to call out to my, my, uh, my partner in crime, Latroy, helping me on that front. So, um, I feel like the last 30, um, so the first kind of 20, 24 ish, um, and, and the last 30 have been um, out of my comfort zone, as, as I would say, white male living in the West Coast of the U.S., working in tech, um, and both voices and, 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 and diversity, but also international, too. Um, I've really been doing a lot more interviews on other continents and other views of the world, so it's, it's been very rewarding. I'm enjoying it. That's great to hear. And I'm really happy to hear that you're over your 50% or almost 50% um, in this season. Um, yeah, so tell me, since you have done um, a big number of interviews, um, what are the top three insights you gained by interviewing different people in this industry? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say I gained, but it, it's over resoundingly enforced what I already suspected, what kind of caught me on, put me on the trail of the APIs back in 2009 and 10 is um, the APIs aren't what matter. It's the everything that happens around them and what, what gets enabled, the business outcomes, the business use case, the feedback loops um, that exist. So it's very much the val the value and, and why APIs matter is squarely in the human camp and every like the majority of speakers on my show um have acknowledged that and i would say similar to what we just we talked about in our show was api product management is one of the most important aspects of the conversations i'm having and i would say this is not just breaking changes this is i have five to ten customer conversations postman customer conversations each week and i also hear it there is uh, tech-led or tech-driven APIs are great. There's a lot of need there. The technical details are important, but if they don't, if they're not in alignment with business outcomes and have business stakeholders involved, they're just not meaningful. And so that's, I would say, the the top thing that I'm hearing. So having um, product management and the business cases around what the APIs can do, not necessarily what those APIs are, correct? Yeah, yeah, and 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 the impact they're making, why consumers want them, validation that the every feature that gets added has customer demand for that. We're not just adding it for the sake of, you know, some cool new feature. Or um, it's not just one customer wanting it. It's actually a, a diverse range of customers. Um, so like one loud customer or the 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 angriest customer doesn't get the feature um, that and that's got to have actual diverse business use case. Mm -hmm. Makes sense, absolutely. 
So Breaking Changes, the name. Explain how you came up with the name. Um, well, I have to give credit to my CEO, Abhinav uh, Astana. Uh, it was his idea, and, and he was he was pretty pleased with himself when he came up with it. So for everybody who's listening, because this show isn't meant um, for outside of technical circles, um, hopefully reaching business audience. But a breaking change is, in, in technical speak, is when you put out an API, it has certain properties and characteristics. You can, um, so kind of like a, a web page URL, you can change the parameters of the URL, the queries to make a different search. Say you're searching for products on a website or in this case, an API. Uh, when you release the next version of that API, if you remove some of those parameters or you change a name, um, it'll, it'll break people's uh, applications or integrations. And so when you release a new version and you make a change, if you remove or something or, or um, change something and don't communicate it properly, that's considered a breaking change. And so my belief on breaking changes is breaking changes don't exist. There's just changes without people communicating with, with consumers and, and that would solve the problem if everybody was on the same page. You would break changes wouldn't exist. But Abhinav thought it was pretty clever because it's a it's one of the top pain points in the API space. So, and Postman's a, a testing tool. Like mm -hmm. we help you not identify breaking changes before they they go into production. And so Abhinav thought, oh, uh, newscast uh, or podcasts about the API space with information and news and knowledge. Um, why don't we call it breaking changes and kind of make a play off of that? So yeah, that's a clever name <laughs> and very catchy. I thought it was um, good. Yeah. So uh, there is a lot of talk about diversity these days, right? And you mentioned that earlier as well. So from your interviews, what are still the challenges that from your perspective you see that women are facing? Well, I would say currently, like, and as a manager, I'm seeing this. Um, I have a team of 25 people that I manage um, and watching and, and the conversations I'm having on Breaking Changes is uh, it's that home load that you talked about that uh, that 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 ba that imbalance that exists in the home environment uh that combined with work is like the the biggest challenge is like all right well i gotta quit i gotta i'm gonna go start a business or i'm gonna go work in something to uh, to to pay the bills but i gotta be at home i gotta juggle kids i gotta juggle schedules and in a covid reality i i've seen a lot where that push people over um, the the breaking point where they, they leave a perfectly good job or career um, to prioritize the things that matter in their life. And so I saw the COVID version of that, but I would say second to that is um, just uh, not, um, and this is one that I struggle with a lot. I'm, uh, I work really hard to try to shut up and be quiet in meetings uh, and get better at stopping and listening and, and creating pauses for people to speak um, rather than me just dominating the conversation. And so 
once I kind of was woke up to that, like, I would say I'm, I didn't really start seeing the effect of it until like 2012. I hate to say I'm, I'm pushing 50 years old. And I really, until my, my wife kind of clued me in, um, pretty, like, pretty aggressively to it. It's like, you're being very loud and you're dominating the moment and you're really not giving people the, the oxygen or the space to speak anyone, other men, women, anybody. And so once I saw, like, I thought I was just being smart and I thought I was just contributing the conversation. I didn't realize I was shutting other people down and, and not leaving room for people to speak. So I would say from my vantage point, that's the biggest is uh, we just don't, we just don't carve out the space for, for other people to uh, jump in, have a conversation, lead, own. Uh, and I think white men and, and white men specifically in tech need to, we need to learn to be quiet and listen more. So how, um, you know, that's, that's very true that a lot of times um, either, you know, there is no space to speak or there might be even if an idea uh, comes that may get overtalked or not even considered. And that's very common. It's been happening for years. And I, like you said, once you got conscious of it, you are trying to do better. But how can we even make people aware of it um, where they don't have aggressive wives who point this out to them? Yeah. Um, so I would say probably uh, advocates such as myself, you know, speaking out about like we're, like we're doing here. But I would say so. What woke me up to it is is my wife has a blog called Hack Education. She works in the ed tech space, and she's she's been really popular and famous, and she's written quite a few pieces in big publications, and seeing firsthand the, how people treat her. You know, like I've seen emails in her inbox from CEOs of ed tech companies who sell their wares in schools in our public K through 12 schools, call her a bitch and tell her that she should shut up. And like, you know, and on their corporate email, like I've seen behaviors like this and she's, she's very outspoken and she's not, um, she's not afraid to point something out and call someone out for something. And so, a, she calls me out, and which was really awkward. I mean, so I only met her in 2008, and, and then when we've recently been married. So, like, in the early days, she was calling me out for a lot of things, and I was just like, okay. I'll, 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 I, it was hard to swallow at first. And then I got used to it, and I got to see that she never did it unless I was doing something pretty jackass. And so um, once I started seeing it, you know, calling it out, in other situations is really hard. Like I've done it in a couple situations this year. I've done, I've had two situations that are open source communities, heavily male dominated things and pointed out, hey, there was someone contributing and doing something and, and she was ran off because of, of the way the conversation was and pointing out that, you know, they were just joking and, and, you know, being guys and joking, but it was actually wasn't, it was actually made someone feel very uncomfortable. And then I got, they really got upset with me and people were like, why you got to always be causing problems. And I started seeing, you know, and I've seen several of these situations play out and I've seen enough of them. I've called out and, and taken the heat for a few of them now. 
And I would say it just needs more people doing that. And it's, it, it's not easy. Like I hate, I really, really hate being, being that advocate to go say, Hey, you guys just made her feel really uncomfortable or really pushed her out or didn't give her the space. But it's, it's the only way I think we're going to like physically carve out that space. Cause I think a couple of the times I did it, they were just like, whatever, whatever. I'm, I've got work to do. I'm going to go do my thing. I'm not even going to say something because it's so much work for them to have to do the calling out. So I think it's going to take advocates, male advocates and, and white advocates to do it. So, Yeah, um, that is that reality. And I'm glad you're advocating. But like you said, it needs to be repeated. It's not a one-time thing uh, because it takes time for people to realize even if they are doing something wrong and then to alter that behavior. So, uh, and people don't like to be called on, right? Even if they have done something wrong, um, they take, yeah, they, they might take it's time. It's hard to swallow. Yeah, it's very it's hard, hard to, to swallow. It's hard to swallow that. Yeah, so it's, it's gonna take a lot of work, I agree with you, but uh, yeah, but please continue to do that. We need more people like you and I'm so glad that, your wife, uh, what's her name? Uh, Audrey. Audrey, that Audrey speaks up and is not afraid to say uh, what's on her mind and also call people out. Um, and even the, the hate mail that she gets and uh, despite all of that, because uh, the thing is, it, it starts to get to you. Um, uh, you know, we've heard all about the imposter syndrome and it affects men and women, uh, both, of, uh, both of us, right? But when someone just repeatedly tells you that you are not good enough in not even um, an obvious way, but in the subtle way, like talking over you or running over your ideas or, you know, joking around with the with your buddies, um, all of these little things start to add up. It brings the confidence down. And a lot of times women actually already have to do more work to prove themselves. And when this starts affecting their self-confidence, then more imposter syndrome uh, keeps, uh, you know, they're going deep into that. And then that's what we have. Then people start, more women start leaving the workforce and not just women in general, but like other, uh, other minority groups also. So yeah, this is, uh, but I'm glad that we are having conversations because every little bit helps, although there is a lot to do. But what I've realized is that every little bit helps, even when you called out um, that group in particular, uh, you know, it, it helped. And then um, someone else might get uh, the guts to then speak up uh, and then say, call out, no, you know, don't do this. This is wrong. And we, yeah, we need all of the, all of our allies um, and uh, to speak up, uh, to be our voice when we are in the room, and also more importantly when we are not in the room, because then there are back talks and other things that happen that we will not even be aware of. So thank you for doing that. Um, can you tell me um, ten years from now, what do you envision the future will be? Mm. Great question. Um, well, so I feel like I wouldn't say I'm working myself out of a job, but similar to 
the web, you know, there's no more web evangelists out there advocating for the web. Hey, you should do a website. Uh, so APIs, I feel like 2016, I kind of went over the mark where mainstream businesses are doing it. It's gone mainstream. Uh, everybody's got APIs, every type of organization, every business sector. Um, so I, I think there will always be a role. I'm, I'm chief evangelist and, and I'm known for my, for my blog called API Evangelist. But I don't think there will be any more evangelizing here, but there will still be a need for the information, the knowledge, the practices, the standards, everything else I do. So I don't think I'm working myself out of a job. But um, I think where it's all going to be is it's all going to be a lot more plug and play. It's all going to be like I think the automation that we talked about, like people will just be able to connect the different softwares they use. Um, there will always still be friction because like most of the – friction with integrating with APIs and keeping them going isn't technical. It's actually rate limits and, and unreliable APIs and startups going away or being acquired or, you know, there's a number of reasons why it's hard to connect different companies together. Anti-competitive behavior, there's a lot of things. So I feel like APIs are just going to be more commonplace. You're going to be able to drag and drop and connect and, 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 have flows of data between many different APIs. It's, 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 and we're gonna have a, more AI and ML helping us. But I think the need, what's gonna be really big is the politics of APIs is what I would consider. So I see the API space in three, a Venn diagram of three spheres. It's technical, it's business, and it's the politics. Mm -hmm. And so the politics of APIs is gonna be, is already shaping, it's like, the FTC investigating Facebook for anti-competitive practices with their API um, when it comes to Instagram and WhatsApp. Um, it's healthcare interoperability like you're seeing with, um, mm -hmm. if you do business as a state in the United States with the federal government, uh, with Center for Medicaid and Medicare, you have to have a fire compliant API. So it's gonna be things like that that are more mandatory in industries that are utilities, energy, like critical type things. So you're going to see more regulation, um, but it's just going to be more of the same, but there's going to be more privacy, PSD2, GDPR, uh, or not, sorry, GDPR and CCPA, too many acronyms in my head. Um, so privacy, things like GDPR and CCPA kind of giving users more access to their data. But so the net in 10 years, like most of the conversations is going to be policy, legal, uh kind of uh, governance within the enterprise things like that it's going to be more business and politics rather than just tech and business if that makes sense yeah and i wish there was more interoperability also which we are lacking in some cases um ios apis and android apis are a great example of that uh where you know if you have to build a native app you have to actually build it twice in both languages. There are wrappers coming around uh, on top of it, which makes it easier. But yeah, the interoperability and the politics that you talked about, I think also affects that. But yeah, more regulation uh, is also, uh, as, as people are understanding the privacy issues around it, the ethical issues around it, it's more coming into light. But I feel it is, um, even our, you know, politicians who are making uh, these policies or are uh, proposing these policies, even they need to be um, 
up to date with all of the different things that are going on and we are just moving at such a fast pace that it's like really hard to catch up agreed agreed yeah. um so as a give out my last question um we already talked about as an ally what we could be doing better um and as a as an API developer, what can we be doing better? Mm. Um, simplify and standardize things. Don't, um, you know, in the API first reality that, that I live in right now is you, you try to encourage people to be designed first and invite more stakeholders to the table. Kind of slow down a little bit, be more thoughtful. Make sure everyone's on the same page before we release that next version or, or that new API. And a lot of developers are resistant to, to that. We're, we're just like, get out of our way, leave us alone. Let us do what we do. We're, we're trained programmers. This is what we do. We're coders. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to hear, listen to business stakeholders. I don't, you just see a lot of that, those legacy kind of illnesses from the IT and, and developer space still present. And I think as a developer, like you want to do good work, you want to do quality work, you want to feel accomplished in your job. I think what you and I talked about earlier around the API product management, like embrace more of that process. It's not like only a small set of what you do is actually writing code. There's so much more in what you do. And, and I think if we, cause I'm a programmer, if we embrace that, I think the, the delivery, the producing and consuming APIs is going to be more inclusive for more people. It's, it's less hostile. It's less aggressive. I think if, uh, think if we embrace i'm not saying we have to embrace design first that's just one one approach but we need to slow down and not just be solo cowboys delivering apis yeah absolutely um thank you so much ken i really enjoyed our conversation uh, and thank you for sharing your thoughts with with your viewers <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been great. Um, I love, love this. By the way, everyone, this was her idea to flip the table and interview me. Uh, so um, I'm very thankful for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Momta for stopping by. For more on Momta, you can find them on LinkedIn and you can learn more about Workday at Workday.com. You can subscribe to the Breaking Changes podcast at Postman.com slash events slash breaking dash changes. I'm your host, Ken Lane, and until next time, cheers. <laughs>